you have a Bible, would you please take it and turn to the book of Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 6, here in this penultimate sermon in our series through the book of Ephesians. We'll look at Ephesians this Sunday and then wrap things up in Ephesians next Sunday. And then, Lord willing, Mark is going to preach from, for us from this, uh, this three-month this three months, um, assurance of forgiveness from 1 John. So you have been meditating on that. I encourage you to continue to do so. And uh, we'll pray for Mark as he brings God's word to us. Uh, as we come to the end of this letter to the Ephesians, uh, into these verses, verses 19 and 20 of chapter 6, we are reminded of something that we may have forgotten. And it's this, that Paul is writing from prison. Paul's in prison. He mentions this, uh, that he's a prisoner for the Lord in the first ch- verse of, of chapter 3, and then he mentions it here uh, in, ch- in verse 20 of chapter 6. And of course, he's writing a letter to the Ephesians in part because he can't visit them in person because he is in prison. And yet, despite the unique difficulty of his situation, Paul's focus has not been on himself throughout this letter. And yet, it's here at the mention of prayer in the face of the spiritual battle that we all face, it's at that mention that he makes his clearest and his most personal requests in asking the church to pray for him. Remember that the focus of these verses in chapter 6 are on the call to stand or to stand firm in the face of Satan and of the spiritual forces of darkness that seek to trip us up. We are in a spiritual battle, and our, our, enemy, uh, our, our enemy wants us to fall. The commentator Baal summarizes Ephesians 6, verses 10 through 20 like this. Christianity is not a stroll through the mall, but a grim fight. Yet we are not engaged in earthly military forays, clumsily cutting off people's ears, but in a contest against spiritual forces, Because we cannot stand on our own against superhuman powers, we must rely on the strength of the Lord's might, which he supplies chiefly through prayer. We've already looked at the six pieces of armor that make up the Lord's armor, as well as the additional weapon of prayer that pervades them all. And Ephesians 6.18 is where we find this, this call to prayer. It says there, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. Last week, we focused on the, the all statements in that verse, you remember. At all times, with all prayer and supplication, with all perseverance, and for all the saints. What we may have missed, though, is the call to be alert, to stay awake. Do you see that there? To that end, keep alert with all perseverance. As you think about keeping alert and prayer, maybe the Garden of Gethsemane comes to mind, where Jesus tells the disciples to watch and pray, only to later find them sleeping when he was in his greatest hour of need. Peter, we remember, was one of those disciples one of the men who was unable to stay awake, which may be why he writes this in 1 Peter 5.8, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. And the devil, our spiritual enemy, is 
seeking to devour and to knock down all of God's children. So we must stay alert and we must therefore pray for all the saints. And it's from this call to prayer for all the saints that Paul then asks the Ephesians also to pray for him. Look at Ephesians 6, 19 through 20. It says there, and pray also for me that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Can you hear Paul as he kind of turns inward for a moment? His letter is closing. He knows he's coming to the end of this letter and maybe he envisions his friends reading or maybe hearing this letter read and then coming to the end of it and then just sort of going about their lives with no thought for their brother Paul who sits in prison. And so he says, as it were, I need prayer too. Pray for me, please. Paul, the apostle, the missionary, the evangelist is not above the need for prayer. He's not above the need for the Lord to come and help him stand in this battle. And so he calls out, don't forget me. Pray for me, brothers and sisters. I think just as we might read this letter to the Ephesians and forget that Paul is in prison because of the gospel he preached and that we believe, we are also very quick to forget the fact that we have brothers and sisters around the world who are facing persecution and imprisonment and death because of this same gospel. Open Doors estimates that in just the last year, and I'm gonna give you some numbers, which I know numbers are sometimes hard to wrap our minds around, but it's also helpful. Uh, but just in just the last year, there have been over 360 million Christians living in places where they experience high levels of persecution and discrimination. Nearly 6,000 Christians killed for their faith. A little over 5,000 churches and other Christian buildings attacked. A little over 6,000 believers detained without trial, arrested, sentenced, or imprisoned. And almost 4,000 Christians abducted. So, we're told to pray for Paul in this passage. Well, we can't pray for Paul, can we? But we can pray for those like him. Uh, today on this day, recognized as the International Day of Prayer for the Persecuted Church, let's pause and hear the voices of those who are being persecuted around the world in the voice of Paul saying, pray for us, pray for us, please. As we think about the persecuted church, I think there are a lot of things that we could pray for on behalf of those that are persecuted and imprisoned. And we're going to think through some of those as we pray together after our service today. But Ephesians 6, 19 through 20 gives us two very specific ways to pray. And maybe they're surprising ways actually, but this is what these verses say to us. They say, pray that God would give gospel workers words and boldness. Pray, pray that God would give gospel workers words and boldness. Now the first part there, we say pray that God would give gospel workers, and that word, those words gospel workers, they, they make this a, a very specific call to pray for those whose vocation is focused on gospel spreading work. And that's because that's what Paul was doing. But I think as we go through these verses that we're going to see that these prayers for words and for, for boldness have application to any Christian anywhere. 
for us, but especially for Christians who are persecuted for their faith, even though they may not carry the title of pastor or evangelist. So in, in one way, we, we are all gospel workers. We are all taking the good news about Jesus into every sphere of influence that God has given us. We are all to see our primary job in this world and in our lives as telling others of the greatness and the goodness of God. And still, while I think that there are these wider applications, the context of these verses would compel us to say that the, the focus of Ephesians 6, 19 through 20 is this. Pray that God would give gospel workers words and boldness. I know we just read them, but look just one more time at Ephesians 19 through 20 and hear God's word. Paul says, pray also for me that words may be given to me and opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. We're gonna think about those two prayers, but before we do, let's, let's think about, um, let's remind our hearts of the, the power and of the importance of, of prayer. Specifically, of, of prayer for, for those doing gospel work in difficult places. And when I think about that, 3 John uh, 5 through 8 comes to mind. It's a very short letter, and in there, John says that some of his fellow workers that are, have come back to him, and they've reported to him how the church that he's writing to was remaining faithful to the truth and supporting gospel workers, and so he encourages them with these words. This is what he says, Beloved, it's a faithful thing you do in all your efforts for these brothers, strangers as they are, who testified to your love before the church. You will do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God, for they have gone out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. Therefore, we ought to support people like these, that we may be fellow workers for the truth. That's a great phrase at the end there, isn't it? Fellow workers for the truth. Uh, one of the missionaries that we financially support is, is Sean Martin. He's doing work to train pastors in Haiti and throughout Europe. I just said we, he's someone that we support. We support him financially. But if he heard me say the word support, he would quickly correct me. And he would say, no, you and your church partner with me. He loves that phrase. We partner with him. And of course, I would say, but Sean, John says support here in Third John. So I'm allowed to say support. But I know what Sean's getting at. Because there's this, this sense in which we when we come alongside those that are doing gospel ministry, whether we support financially or whether we are praying for them as they witness to the glories of Christ to others, we become fellow workers for the truth. We become partners in ministry with them. Financial support, prayer support, other ways of encouraging gospel workers makes us partners and fellow workers with them. We're not physically laboring in the field with them, but we can labor in prayer and we can use the money that we gain from our physical labors to support them. We're not persecuted or imprisoned, but we can intercede for those who are as if we are next to them, knowing that they are a part of our family through faith in Christ. As John says in 3 John 5, they may be strangers, but they're also family. Hebrews 13.3 brings this together. It says, remember those who are in prison as though in prison with them. Remember those in prison who are in prison as though in prison with them and those who are mistreated. Why? Since you also are in the body. 
So prayer is a powerful thing. It's a powerful weapon, according to Ephesians 6. These verses have reminded us that that the battle we're fighting is spiritual and therefore invisible to our physical eyes, and so our weapons and our armor are also unseen. And because of all these factors, prayer sometimes can feel a bit futile in the fight. But if this battle is spiritual and if it's invisible, then prayer for all the saints and prayer specifically for gospel workers and for the persecuted is not wasted. It is instead one of the greatest things that we can do, and it unites our hearts with them, making us fellow workers for the truth. So let's think about how specifically we can pray for the persecuted church, because sometimes we say that and we're just not sure what to say or how to pray. Well, Paul helps us. He tells us as someone who, is, who, who faced persecution that we are to pray for words and for boldness. We're going to look at these two things separately, but we're going to find that uh, it's hard to pray for one without praying for the other. Um, But let's begin by seeing that Paul speaks of praying for words. For words. Paul says, pray for me, and then he doesn't ask that they would pray for his release. doesn't ask that they would pray for his physical strength or for social or political favor. Paul, stuck in prison, asked, for words. It's kind of ironic, isn't it? Because words are what got him put in prison. <laughs> he would not be quiet about Jesus or about the good news of forgiveness through faith in him, and so he was thrown into a Roman jail. But while he was in prison, he seemed to still have a, a far-reaching influence on those that came to hear him and those who just simply crossed his path. John Stott writes that uh, there, there were those soldiers to whom one by one, each for a shift of several hours on end, he was chained, and there were his constant visitors. He could still witness to them, and he did so. And so Paul prays for words, words in the present, but I also imagine he's looking to the future. Maybe he's praying for words to speak when he's called before the powers who have arrested him. Or maybe he's already looking forward to the day when he's going to be released from prison that on that day he would have words to speak. What kind of words? Well, he's praying for words to proclaim the mystery of the gospel. If you want to do some, remind, you, remind yourself of, of what that means, the first 13 verses of chapter 3 in Ephesians talk about the mystery of, God, the, of the gospel uh, in detail. And it's not something that is mystery, it's not something that is presently unknown but rather it's something that was previously unknown. And yet now it's been, it's been revealed through the coming of and the teaching of Jesus the Messiah. What's the mystery of the gospel? Very generally, it, the mystery of the gospel is that salvation is found through faith in Jesus. Salvation is found through faith in Jesus. That's Acts 4.12. There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among, among men by which we must be saved. Paul is asking for words to reveal that mystery. And so too today, we must pray for gospel workers that they would have words to speak forth this message, that they might, in Paul's words, be ambassadors, even if they are in chains. An ambassador. An ambassador is a representative of someone greater, often delivering a message on behalf of that greater individual. And so too, gospel workers are representatives of Christ. Which is why Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, 20 through 20, 2 Corinthians 5, 20, therefore we are ambassadors for Christ, 
God making his appeal through us. What an amazing thing. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. That message of reconciliation to God is not one that is easy for people to accept. In fact, apart from God's Spirit, it's impossible for them to accept. But also, in every culture, culture, there are beliefs held from childhood or values that are communicated through various means that make it hard for the gospel to take root. And so part of the work of spreading the seed of the gospel is speaking the truth of the gospel in words that that cut through the, the weeds that would choke out the gospel seed or speaking words that would break up the hard soil of the human heart. We are to pray for insightful and creative and piercing and clear words in proclaiming the truth about Jesus' life and death and resurrection and the hope that's found in repenting of sin and trusting in Christ. We're to pray that those that have opportunity to share the gospel would know what to say. Of course, our our hope is not in clever words, but in spirit-empowered words. God, would you give these those that are sharing the gospel on the front line, spirit-empowered words. Uh, But the mystery of the gospel is not simply that salvation is found through faith in Jesus, but also that the hope of salvation is held out to all people. It is the, the message of salvation only in Jesus, but the mystery is also that the hope of salvation is held out to all people, meaning that there is no external factor that qualifies you to find forgiveness through faith in Christ. And there's also no innate thing about you that makes it impossible for you to find hope in Jesus. You remember that this was something that Paul was pushing against, specifically the idea that there was a distinction between Jews and Gentiles. His unique role as the apostle to the Gentiles was to make clear, according to Ephesians 3.6, that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. And that was a radical thought. And it still is a radical thought. This idea that the gospel is only for certain people has certainly not died out. There are prejudices expressed against Christianity and even within Christianity. There's a sense of comfort that's found in in churches made up of people that are just like us, such that we we don't think hard about how to reach other cultures with the gospel. Or there are long held prejudices around the world, amongst tribes or races or ethnicities that, that make it difficult for the Christian message to pierce through hearts. And so we need to pray. We need to pray for those who speak into the divisions around them and face persecution, persecution for doing so. We need to pray that they would be given words. And of course, we're praying that they often would be given the words of the Scriptures. But as Jesus promised, the Holy Spirit would help them recall his teachings and the truths of the Bible that will work like a sword to prick consciences and to cut across divides made by human sinfulness. Well, we're praying for words to be spoken, and it becomes clear why we also need to pray for boldness uh, to speak forth these words as, as, as God would give them, for boldness. In general, I think Paul needed boldness to keep moving forward in his mission as an apostle, despite the fact that it was that mission that landed him in prison. Maybe you've broken a bone, or you've sprained an ankle, or you've had some sort of similar injury. 
And when that injury heals, it's sometimes difficult to jump right back into the activity that, that caused the problem in the first place, to, to do that sport again where this, this injury occurred. You're scared it's going to cause the same problem. You find that you're hesitant to do certain movements because you're afraid that the injury is going to occur again. And I wonder if Paul was fearful, fearful that if he continued to, to do what he had been doing, if he kept proclaiming the message that got him locked up in the first place, then he might never get out of prison, or he just might find himself in prison again. And I can only imagine that our brothers and sisters around the world also struggle with the temptation to, to close their mouth, to be silent, to, to not bring that, that pain back on their family of having to, to go back into prison. If I just be quiet, if I don't say anything else, then it'll all be okay. To move more into self-protection. And yet we saw as we looked at the shoes of gospel readiness, that our temptation to move into the shadows and to protect ourselves actually only makes us more vulnerable to the attacks of Satan. Rather, it's, it's as we are always ready to give an answer for the hope that is in us that we are pushing back the darkness. And so we must pray for boldness for those who face opposition and maybe are fearful that if they speak again, they'll face that opposition once more. And boldness specifically to speak forth this mystery of the gospel, the mystery that salvation is found through faith in Jesus and that this salvation is held out to all people. Speaking forth those message, messages requires boldness because they come against the idols and the sinfulness of the human heart in every culture. And often they confront those idols and that sin so strongly that people will do anything to silence the message, including persecuting those who proclaim it. So we must pray that the church worldwide would have boldness to speak forth the truth that salvation is found through faith in Jesus alone. Boldness to confront sin and call people to turn away from that sin. Boldness to point out the futility of any other faith or any other religious system that is not centered in Christ and his work of redemption. But let me say boldness doesn't translate to mean that Christians are jerks. I think there seems to be a spirit in our day that doesn't know how to have strong convictions and not be mean-spirited or, or degrading or self-righteous in holding those convictions. I think there are times for strong words, for rebuke towards those who oppose us, but often boldness doesn't look like that. Often boldness actually looks very calm it looks like well-reasoned words, not sarcastic words, not demeaning words. Boldness is quiet clarity. Boldness is winsomeness when those who oppose us lose their cool. It looks like Jesus. Jesus who spoke very little at his sham trial, but clearly stated the truth and then entrusted himself to the Father. It looks like Stephen. It looks like Stephen who learned from Jesus that even your dying breath can be filled with grace as he calls out, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. It looks like Peter and John who, when they were released from prison and told not to, not to talk about Jesus, uh, didn't yell at, at the, 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 those that were instructing them, but rather just said, whether it's right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge, for we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. In other words, 
we're probably going to keep talking about Jesus. It looks like the believers in Hebrews 10.34, of whom the author writes, you joyfully accepted, joyfully accepted what? The plundering of your property. (laughs) Probably because they were visiting Christians in prison, and others came while they were visiting those Christians in prison and stole from them. But you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property since you knew that you, you yourselves had a better possession and an, an abiding one. That's the kind of boldness that we're praying that, that God would give to gospel workers and to those who are persecuted. Boldness to keep speaking salvation in Jesus' name and to do it joyfully in the face of opposition. And boldness to speak forth the fact that the gospel message is open to all. The church is not to be filled with prophetic voices like the voice of Jonah. Voices that are trapped in their own prejudices and and only want people who are like them to find salvation. Rather, gospel workers around the world are in the business of confronting the prejudices of the world and of their culture. Remember, Paul was in prison for preaching the gospel, but most specifically, he's in prison for preaching the gospel to Gentiles. That's why he got thrown in prison. If he was just preaching the gospel to the Jewish people, he would have been free to do so. But the problem is that a key component of the message of the gospel that confronts the world is the unique unity that it brings that we've been seeing here in Ephesians. And yet, here's the strange thing. The message of equality in Christ and unity in Jesus brings division and persecution from the world. What challenges and enrages the world in part is the mystery of the gospel, namely the fact that in Christ there is no Jew or Greek, there is no slave or free, there is no male or female. So we need boldness. Why? We need boldness because the gospel opposes all forms of racial or ethnic prejudice, as well as any sense of racial or ethnic superiority. The gospel gets rid of all of that. The gospel cuts across social divides in every culture. There are no classes in the church. There are no people of particularly noble birth. There's no hierarchy based on your net worth or your family name. There are no castes and there are no outcasts in the church. The gospel proclaims equality between men and women, and it cuts across cultural understandings of the specific place that men and women have in a society, making us all equal brothers and sisters in Christ. There is no young or old in Jesus. All generations are respected and valued, and it takes boldness to preach a gospel that leads to a unity that everyone in the world says that they want, but nobody in the world is ready for, especially if it means accepting Jesus to find that unity. Which means that that this aspect of the gospel message is a bit too radical in some contexts, and so it brings violence on the church. Therefore, there's a temptation to, to lay aside this part of the mystery and to allow the gospel to instead fall in line with the values of a society or a culture or a race, or, or a gender, rather than letting, setting the gospel loose to confront all of these sinful divisions that naturally arise in our hearts. Do you see that temptation? I can preach the gospel in my culture and not let it confront the different ways that my culture is dividing, not let it bring the radical unity that it's supposed to. I think Paul knew this well, that, and that's why he confronted Peter 
about how he was compromising this aspect of the gospel message in Galatians 2, which Jordan read for us. Let me read a little bit, uh, read part of that again. Galatians 2, 11 through 14. Paul says, but when Cephas, so Peter, when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face. Imagine that. Paul and Peter face to face. I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, here's Paul's boldness, I said to Cephas before them all, if you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? Now, let me be clear. Much of what's going on here has to do with whether or not someone needs to keep the Old Testament law in order to be a follower of Jesus. But there are also social and racial and ethnic concerns that are at play in this. It was easier to hang out with people like yourself, as is still true today. But to do so is to deny the new unity that the gospel brings. And so Paul, with boldness, confronted Peter to say that his actions were opposed to the gospel. How does this apply to persecution? Those who face persecution in our day often face it for proclaiming and living out this new unity and refusing to let the cultural realities of their nation or of their place that they live to let those realities trump gospel realities. And while it could be easier to simply allow these divisions within a culture to remain, that's not the hope of the new kingdom of God that's ours through faith in Christ. That's not the hope that we are proclaiming. And so we have to pray for boldness to proclaim the mystery of the gospel specifically found in the beautiful unity that is found in Jesus across all other lines that would divide. The main command of this, these verses is for us to pray. Pray that God would give gospel workers words and boldness. And I hope you, we can take these things and as we pray uh, in, in after our service that we can be praying specifically for words and for boldness and that those two prayers might help you as you think about uh, the persecuted church or those who are in prison about how specifically to pray. But I also think that in praying for others, we might also pray to be filled with words and boldness ourselves. That while we're not facing persecution and imprisonment and death, we, we too, we need words to speak to those around us so that they might hear the hope of the gospel. We need boldness. We need boldness to speak to those outside of the church we need boldness sometimes, like Paul, to speak to those inside of the church about the fact that salvation is found in Christ alone and that those who are in Christ are united across all of the lines that could threaten to divide us. And we pray for words and for boldness for the persecuted. As we, as we do that, may God also fill us with words and fill us with boldness to proclaim the mystery of the gospel as we ought to. That's the end there of verse 20. Paul says he wants to do this with boldness as he ought to. This kind of bold proclamation is what we who are Christians, we who are children of God through faith in Christ, it's what we ought to do.
So by God's grace, may he use this day, may he use the prayers that flow from it to make us and others faithful and bold so that in the evil day, we might be able to stand. Let's take a moment of silence and then I will pray for us. Father, we thank you for the beauty of the gospel that we can be reconciled to you through faith in Jesus and also that we can be reconciled to one another as we are reconciled to you, that there is a unity that, that is only found through faith in Christ. Well, we know that this message is something that the world longs for, and yet they also reject. They long for salvation. They long for reconciliation, and yet do not want to hear about the exclusivity of the gospel, that we speak so much of unity in this world, and yet we will not find it in Christ, where, which is the only place that we will ever find true unity. So it would help us to be bold, to speak with deep confidence, knowing uh, that your grace has saved us and can save anyone, and knowing that the gospel brings the unity that the human heart is so deeply longing for. Lord, we pray too for those who are facing persecution, who are in prison, those who, whose family members are, are facing these things. Lord, that you would give them words, Lord, that they would know how to speak the truth of the gospel clearly, that they would know how to speak the mystery of the gospel and this, of this unity that comes um, in Christ. We pray for boldness for them, Lord, that they would not back away, they would not be afraid, but they would be entrusting themselves to you, knowing that, that you are with them, that you will give them words, and ultimately, Lord, that their, their souls are secure in Christ. Lord, help us in a few moments as we pray together as a church that you would, um, you would guide us well in that time of prayer. I ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen.